You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We are live a few minutes late with a couple technical difficulties behind us, but we are here today. <laughs> Happy to be here. I'm Corey Munson, coming to you live from Iowa, joined as always by Aaron Castro in Arizona and Liam Madigan-Fried in Houston. Josh Fredland is our moderator. He's behind the scenes, taking all your comments and all that fun stuff. So, fellas, how was your week? Um, you know, some rugby, some some baseball uh i did go to the gym and my squats in i am not in my prime i can tell you that right now but uh we are back over 220 well i guess 225 was the last set on deadlift and squat but we are back over 200 pounds uh, that's what happens everyone when you uh get hit by while cycling so uh you know uh yeah you know, got to get in the gym, got to get it in. Otherwise, you'll shrivel up like Liam. Yeah. Man, that <laughs> ship is long. That ship is long sailed. I'm off the field by now. I have no reason to go into a gym. Why the hell would I go into a gym? Instead, I can go into a bar like I was doing yesterday during the uh, my first ever St. Patrick's Day in Houston, Texas. That was pretty fun. Went down to Main Street. Uh, also hit up Griff's Irish Pub, which has the uh, longest running uh, St. Patrick's Day celebration in Houston, Texas. Shout out to uh, the staff at Griff's. Uh, they they know me, so that that that's pretty much <laughs> pretty much how my weekend went. <laughs> oh man, I, I feel like I feel like moving from Boston, St. Patrick's Day, any place else, just I don't know, can't be the same thing, can it? Nah, I mean the, the only thing is though, like I haven't. Gotta- been- I, I've only been to Boston, like like the city city for St. Patrick's Day, like once, um, and I wasn't even one, so I just did a whole lot of, you know, other activity, like I, I some underage uh, part, partaking of the festivities, I guess you could say. Uh, I've been in Vermont for most of my St. Patrick's Day festivities, and that's always fun. So uh, Houston pre- presented me with a pretty good good uh, good time. Um, yeah, we don't do St. Patrick's Day. Well. They do it, but it's not like – it's nothing like Chicago St. Patrick's Day or New York St. Patrick's Day. I don't know what Boston does. I, I really have no clue. But uh, Neither do we the next morning, man. I, what, what are you talking about? But uh, I know that <laughs> Chicago literally dyes their, their river this green. It was kind of disgusting. <laughs> oh, and then I wake up. And this is, you know, you're going to, somebody's going to complain about us not talking about rugby or something. Uh, Take a but, shot. <laughs> uh, for, for those that want to know, the Earful of Dirt drinking game is out. <laughs> so go look it up on Reddit. It's kind of funny. But um, courtesy Liam. Thank you, sir. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just funny to see. I woke up and, you know, Connor McGregor was invited to partake in the Chicago festivities. He marched in the parade. It was kind of cool. You know, just, you know, 
I guess the Chicago Irish needed to bring a real Irishman or one that like actually will fight people, which I don't know if he got into a fight, but this is where it was stupid. Like someone he, he was, was he smashed a dude's phone pretty recently, I'm pretty hey, sure. Yeah, like, so so that, that was in Miami or something like that. And uh he uh was booked uh, I, I forget what the crime he was charged with, not petty theft, it was something else. But basically some guy got in his face was like, Connor, can I take a picture? And he grabbed it. And Connor's, by all accounts, is a pretty nice dude unless, you know, you get up in his face. So you gotta, he's kind of like a horse. You, you can't <laughs> have your, you gotta approach like calmly. Uh, that's I would love to see you call Connor McGregor a horse to his face. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you gotta approach in a specific kind of way. Otherwise, he might punch you in the face. It's um, nothing. But um, so someone was some idiot. I don't know. People, I mean, we are sports journalists now in this day and age, but some person that called themselves a journalist was like sending requests to the Irish consulate and the Irish government for comments about why Conor McGregor was, uh, why he was in a, a St. Patrick's day parade in, in Chicago. It's like and the Irish government states that they, uh, they have uh, no knowledge of the reason why Conor McGregor is in Chicago. Like, first of all, Conor's legal troubles are in Florida, not not in Ireland. So why the heck are you, like, hitting up the Irish consulate to find out, like, why Conor McGregor, like, is in Chicago? I mean, geez, like, find something else to talk about. Like rugby? Oh yeah, let's talk about that. That was it was a it was a pretty decent weekend of rugger, uh, and you know, it was. But the, I yeah, so yeah, uh, so so before, well, I was gonna say before we get too too into this, I just want to tell you what we normally do for those tuning in for the first time to Earful of Dirt. <laughs> Each week we uh, host this little podcast live stream thinger. We discuss news and rumors from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union. It's a chance for us to look at the issues, hear from the league, players, team leadership, and check in with our friends from across the rugby scene. So with all that said, Aaron, can you tell us what we're going to be talking about this week? Oh, yeah. So uh, New York eke out a win over... Why does it say New York? That that makes no sense. Uh, The Rooney Roosters eke out a win over the Toronto Arrows, who flew a little bit, but not high enough. Uh, Austin is improving, but the Sea will still win. Uh, Nola flies, Houston sinks. And of course, you know, Glendale likes to kiss their sister. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. So yeah, so we started out the weekend with a, uh, boy, just a humdinger of a match out there in New York City. Uh <laughs> Could you sound any more Iowa? Like, oh, a humdinger there, don't was, you know? Yeah. That's, that's bordering on the big city of New York, don't you know? Yeah. Minnesota, Wisconsin, <laughs> eh? It's not uh, the same thing out in the Midwest. It's not just one big Fargo episode. You know? <laughs> further, the further north you go, the worse it gets. Uh, we're halfway between Minnesotan and, well, howdy there, partner. I'm from Missouri. So, yeah. <laughs> Somehow in the middle, we end up kind of middling in our uh, language skills. So, 
Uh, and Continue. T- taking track, uh, that's making fun of Iowa. Take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron, how's classes this week? Oh, wait. <laughs> Take a drink. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, uh, I, what I was going to say is you couldn't have asked for a much better way to start off the weekend. Um, late win by Rooney uh, put in against uh, Toronto in their first home game. So this was took place at MCU Park on Coney Island. Aaron, tell us all about it. You know, pr- really close game. For the most part, I would say New York really was in control for you know, a good portion of this game uh, really led out uh, by the fact that uh, something I mentioned the other week was their their scrummaging has just gotten a lot better. Rounded out into form, James Roquefort. Uh, I mean, he's got like a French name, but he's Scottish or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, but he he went eighty minutes at the loose head position. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny to see that front row. Not the butcher. The butcher does what he does. It, you can't really take much away from him. He went over the line twice with two tries uh, and, you know, just got after it with 18 tackles. But the thing that has changed for uh, New York has been their scrum, and uh, Toronto has had a pretty strong scrum throughout this uh, league year in the competition. Uh, when it came to – there was some significant level of competitiveness going on with this. It was a, it was a bit of a grudge match, I guess, uh, in a sense. Like, this is – I mean, I'm, I'm going to take a dump all over uh, the uh, the Boston-New York rivalry, but how about this rivalry, New York versus Toronto, which is really an extension of the old, old blue versus Ontario blues rivalry, which those matches the last couple of years have been uh, as uh, good old Iowan uh, Corey Munson says, humdinger. Of a match, <laughs> but yeah, th- this was a really good one. Um, the great thing about ESPN Plus was that uh, I wasn't at home. I was coming back on the train from the Colegio, and I watched it on my phone. So that was really cool. Um, if you didn't know, the drinking game is in session. Um. <laughs> Drinking hydrate with water, please. Uh, but uh, you, again, Kahal Marsh goes out. Uh, Matina uh, played 10 really the rest of the night. Uh, wasn't the same as last week, but he did do enough for uh, New York. The huge thing for New York really, again, is how their type five is going on. Toronto played the possession game. They pushed the ball deep, uh, forced New York to concede penalties, which allowed Sam Malcolm to take nine points uh, in penalties. They were Their attack overall really uh, was stymied by that New York defense. They only scored one try. Uh, Sam Malcolm also converted that try. But overall, you know, Toronto, we got, we got to work on some things. Jack Nay, you need to start doing Jack Nay things. Okay. Yeah. Right now, you ain't doing jack shit. No, that I, I, I just want. I just wanted to make the. He's doing plenty. You're doing plenty, Jack. You keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> but uh, so I just wanted to say that this is the kind of the game that I, I love seeing. There are two teams who are at their best in two different areas of the game. Uh, by which I mean, New York is kind of better to the outside. Toronto is kind of better at going up the middle. It's USA versus Canada, even better. So we kind of backed up our uh, Can-Am trophy uh, win 
with uh, a win with uh, Rooney versus, you know, Toronto. So definitely a good connection there. Uh, going to the stats, uh, Ben Foden is, is one player for uh, New York who stood out 125 meters on the day thanks to a big line break. Uh, he didn't even crack the top three in terms of ball carry, so that's a very impressive mark. Uh, a person who did crack the top three in terms of ball carries, though, Dylan the Butcher Fawcett, uh, 68 meters on 10 carries. He's a guy who week after week he's putting uh, to bed, you know, the idea that forwards can't run. You know, he's a hooker who I feel like is really good with the ball in hand. He can definitely make that game line game after game. Uh, you know, like like Aaron said, the Butcher's just going to do what he do. You know, uh, New York's defense, though, um, the reason why Toronto was definitely, you know, as competitive as they were in this game, it definitely needs a little work. They let up two total line breaks. Shout out to my fellow New Englander, drink Trevor Cassidy for leading the team with 25 total tackles in uh, in New York. But they let up a gain line uh, over margin of about 60 percent to a team that we've seen, you know, in the past. And their record shows that they've had issues with, uh, you know, at times moving the ball. Uh, this game, that was a little, you know, less of an issue, but ultimately not good enough. Uh, in terms of uh, people who stood out you know, on the arrows for me, Gaston Mirez. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Gaston Mirez? Uh, it's either Mirez or Mieres. I think Mieres. it's Mieres. Is he, is he Brazilian? He's I have Brazil- no idea. He's Brazilian. It's Mirez. I. Whatever, Gaston Mieres, he led the arrows with 90 total meters, you know, thanks to having one of uh, two team line breaks. But the most efficient with the ball, on paper at least, is uh, Giuseppe Dutois, 10 carries. Giuseppe. Giuseppe. Giuseppe Dutois. Sorry, man. (laughs) Is that considered a fact check? Dutois. Dutois. Is it? I mean, I, I guess so. Yeah. Dr- drink anyway. It's good for you. <laughs> 10 carries for 69 meters with a line break. And of course a try. Most of his carries is what helped this team to a 60% line uh, gain line overrate. Um, and, you know, it was one of the people that really helped them stay competitive in this one. So, you know, so, so some good stuff from Toronto, but overall good uh, win to grind out for Rooney. And a great way to start a home stand as well. Yeah, and also, by the way, there will never be a better r- rivalry than Boston versus New York. Just wait until the Free Jacks come in next year. This will be this will get a lot more interesting in MLR. Having absolutely nothing to do with the game itself, I got to say <laughs> the the scene, the setting of that ballpark with like the the uh, roller coasters in the back and all that, it just it looked cool. Oh, I was speaking of. First, I want to see the Warriors come out. You know, first like, set, blink, 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 first blink. set of whinging uh, on the weekend was from another team who did not play Wind. in a park, but it was about baseball stadiums and about how the angles didn't work. And yeah, I didn't like how they lined it up. But oh my gosh, can we can we not? Do that? Like, can we can we not just complain about the fact that teams are in baseball stadiums? Hello, it's cool, dude. It, it, it's it's a it's an interesting you experience. You can't play half the league fixtures at high school stadiums. Why? Because you cannot provide a adult entertainment experience. And by adult, I mean booze, beer, wine. Liquor, you, you can't do that. Uh, NOLA is different because it's like private public partner. Well, private private partnership because it's a private school and it's Catholic. And 
the land, the, the stadium is like leased by an LLC. It's really complicated. But the point is, their situation in New Orleans is completely different to everyone else's who would be leasing uh, public school stadiums where you cannot sell alcohol. And, you know, the reason why there will never be professional sports in downtown Seattle again, when it, like specifically at Memorial Stadium, is because, you know, uh, be, because it's a school, it's a school district owned facility. So. Yeah, pl- uh, plus uh, one issue that the Sabercats saw last season uh, when they were playing at Dyer Stadium, which is a high school uh, regulation football field, uh, it was very thin. It, it's, you know, it's not your typical rugby regulation uh, width. And so that kind of affected the way patterns out on the wing could develop. So it's definitely not something that backs coaches were particularly fond of. No. Just when, when it comes to baseball stadiums, there may be more baseball stadiums in the future of this league very shortly because one thing that they allow it's capacity and like a significant capacity increase. If you look at, so Dell diamond, uh, sadly it's a, it's a 13,000 seat stadium. Um, where they played last, where the Austin played last year, could only accommodate twenty five hundred. You couldn't accommodate your VIPs really that well. Whereas uh, Constellation Field, MCU Park, Dell Diamond, all have suites, so you can accommodate VIP sponsors and all that stuff. Uh, when when it comes to the, when it comes to entertainment uh, options, um, you can't do that at a high school stadium. So. You know, I, I foresee baseball stadiums being a part of the league, the league for a little while. So that's my opinion. Yeah, and definitely. I and I think since we're talking about baseball stadiums, that might count as a long-winded conversation about something other than rugby. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> Damn it, Corey. We're going to get our whole audience too drunk to keep on listening. But we are 20 uh, minutes uh, into the episode. I hope you're on the floor right now. Uh, yeah, right. Crack open a new one, man. Cheers. Um, All right. Man. Second game of the weekend. We had Seattle up against Austin Elite. And honestly, I think uh, Austin Elite put in a decent show, uh, all things considered. But uh, much like Houston's bout against the Seawolves last week, Austin gave Seattle a run for their money early in the match. Uh, But Seattle has – this kind of speaks to a larger point, which is I think Seattle has not been turning in the dominant performances that uh, we would expect from the defending champions this year, um, like we saw from last year. So, Liam, I'm curious what you saw, what you thought about this game. Well, at the end of the day – Wins are wins, and Seattle has been winning, even if it hasn't been in a totally dominant fashion in every single uh, you know instance. Uh, first, I also want to say to the Austin Elite, I get it better than anybody on this show right now that losing a lead on a really good team, especially Seattle, sucks. But should we be asking why is Seattle now seemingly played down to lesser teams as of late? You know, kind of kind of like you were saying, it's. Wasn't their best performance, but at least they're grinding out with the wins. However, uh, despite the fast start, Seattle ultimately ended up, uh, you know, despite the fast start from Austin, sorry, Seattle ultimately ended up controlling 60% of the total possession, coupled with a 61% territory advantage. 
so, you know, it's, it's easy to see where the comeback came from once is in the second half, they started playing, you know, a much tighter ball control, really good ball retention, uh, you know, making, making sure that their players an opportunity to score. Here's the kicker. Austin's territory rate was only 39% and teams this year have been averaging about 43, 45% territory rate. So that's pretty low. Uh, especially in most of that comes from the second half when Austin just wasn't uh, possessing the ball that much. They were allowing Seattle just to kind of have their way and put up points and, you know, make uh, taking away all the scoring opportunities from Austin. Uh, So when you don't have the opportunities, it's going to be really hard to win a rugby game. Uh, Keeping it going on stats, like, you know, I like to do Seattle had 804 total meters gained on, on 180 passes, giving them an average uh, meters per pass of 4.4. Not really that high, but when you look at it alongside their possession advantage, it definitely says that they were playing a more methodical, controlling game, especially in that second half, like I said. So this is how you see Seattle grind out these wins. They make sure that they at least keep the ball, they, they keep possession, and they make the, uh, the big splash plays whenever they can to get the points. You, one of the things to look at this game is uh, two, two things really, uh, I would say one of them put the nail in the coffin uh, onto Austin, and that was uh, Mo Abdelmanum's uh, yellow card. But the, I would say the momentum shift really it happened in the first half uh, when Tina Erasmus went out and had to you know sit on the bench. I think uh, that really caused greater fatigue for Austin Elite uh, versus whatever else was going on because they were having a really good first half and then he gets a yellow uh at minutes was uh 26 and uh you know seattle starts to come back if you look at uh where uh they really screwed up is austin just committed five penalties in a row on both sides of the of the half, they committed uh, two penalties right before the end of the first half and then three penalties almost right away uh, to begin the second half. And and one of the things I think that Seattle probably looked at is that they were starved of the ball. And one of the things that kept the, they kept the ball away from uh, Austin in the second half was passes. Uh, I know that you're really into these into passing statistics. Uh, well, I think they borrowed from Glendale's game uh, last week uh, against Austin. So the pass differential is almost two to one. Uh, Seattle just moved the ball in the second half. They had 180 total passes to Austin's 95. Uh, if you look at uh, Glendale's game last week, they had 205 passes. I think it was, it was, it was really high to under a hundred, uh, for Austin. And that, that seems to be the way right now, uh, to beat Austin elite a is to make them concede penalties, get yellows and just move the ball from side to side until you hit a gap. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you make you're them gonna, tackle. Like, you're I, beat I just want to, I just want to say, like, Austin, they had 222 total tackles against, and Seattle only 98. So Austin was on defense a whole lot. 222 total tackles. So think about this. Yeah. So for how hard they were playing, right, do you think they would have been fatigued from last week? Because they had 225 tackles against Glendale. 222 this week. Holy crap, man. Like, like that must be like a car crash on your body. Like, you know, two weeks in a row. So that's, that's just really insane. So I guess 
you know, Austin's defense is holding up a bit. Uh, but it, you know, they had this one that you, one of the big things I've been talking about that they haven't had most of the season is consistency of selection along the spine. Tina Rasmus is basically the knocked on starter right now at hooker. And then you have Rodrigo Silva and Michael Romero seem to seem to have rounded out to become the first choice at nine and 10. And then Sohel Jaudat, um is playing in the backfield. Uh, at 15. So you've got really a, a good spine. And then also uh, their number eight. Uh, one of the Larsons has just been there the entire time. So once you get consistency of selection along your spine, you're, you're going to be pretty good uh, overall, I think, or you're going to be really bad. But I, so far they, they've gotten better there. Um, they've The front row is figured out. Oh my gosh, it's taken a while just for them to learn each other uh, overall. Uh, and here's one that's uh, a loss for Seattle. Larome White is just, he's hes going to be a hell of a player. He is a big man. He's athletic. He hits hard. I don't know why you let him go. I really don't. Uh, I thought Mac not starting given Smith's form from last weekend was a really poor choice. I think that really kept... Uh, Seattle off uh, on the back foot. And we sort of saw that significantly when they played against Houston. J.P. Smith really didn't have a good game as well. Uh, the tempo just was completely different once the Iceman got onto the pitch. The key for Seattle in this game really, like I said, was the adjustments. Having a coach off the pitch that is only a coach really helps because then they can dictate the strategy and adjust in the second half, which Seattle did. Uh that's as we said, just run up Austin's tackle count. Just any opponent, you just run up their tackle count. You get it over two hundred. It you're probably gonna win. Uh, Riker Catting, uh, you know, just a, just a casual player of the week performance. You know, two tries. Uh, the first one for Seattle, then the last one for Seattle to s- seal the deal. You know, hammer the nail in the coffin per se. I guess I'm going to use that pun a lot tonight. Uh, but really, Austin is getting better. Hard to know when they'll win their games, but they will win some games because, you know, I think they're just going to beat Utah on that return uh, on that return game. So maybe they'll get another. Maybe they'll get another of that. But they are rounding out into form, and you just gotta. If they're holding it close like this against Glendale and Seattle, someone's not going to like their day at some point. Well, I would say that if uh, Austin's potentially on the upswing here, um, our next game I think illustrates a team that may legitimately be in trouble right now. So uh, Houston took a thumping at the hands of NOLA. Uh, 49-11 was the final on this one. Uh, This is perhaps the most dominant performance uh, that NOLA's put in to date. Uh, The team showed up with a lot of strength on both offense and defense. Uh, Near the end of the game, Houston was issued two red cards after a fight broke out on the field. Uh, If it's okay with you guys, I think what we're going to do is let's talk through the match and then Aaron, if you want to kind of come back afterwards and we can talk through the penalties and just kind of you give me your thoughts on that, okay? All right. Well, we I will hold on to that, I guess, poem that I wrote 
<laughs> an uh, epic, a, a ballad, if you will. Uh, so, so let's let's get into the game. So Houston has a scrum. They can earn some penalties here and there, but that's it. Uh, like right now, we are going back to last season and seeing a disconnect in the game plan starting to come out again. There's frustration again. It's like the the forwards are doing one thing and the backs are doing another, and they are for some reason they are just not communicating. I. I I mean, Liam, you're there, but I'm telling you what I'm seeing. So, just just bear with me before you before I get me uh, any comments. Uh, so you bring in a defense coach. What 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 defense uh, is it is going on? Uh, Tristan Bluett set a major league rugby record. Yes, only second season, but he had 237 meters made from nine carries. Holy, what? It's what? a lot. Uh, New Orleans, uh, you know, they did enough in the scrum. They they weren't the dominant scrum, but they did enough to make sure that they got their ball back uh, on re- on their restarts to run their attack. They hit the gaps and they scored a lot of points. Uh, you know, I won't say the game was over when those cards hit, but Houston, it was there. There wasn't much life shown. So, yeah, um, no, looked pretty good. And yeah, oh, yeah. here's here's another thing. They have like the weakest schedule the rest of the season. Yeah, Houston's schedule is pretty brutal coming up. You know, I mean, we we have Seattle, we have Seattle again before we have Austin. Whatever, but uh, you know, sometimes that gumbo rugby is just too spicy for somebody to uh, take on. Now. <clears throat> this was a disappointing one for me, um, especially after such a strong start. Sam Windsor, uh, he went two for two on uh, penalty conversions. Uh, and he's actually, you know, on, on, on a silver lining, he's looking, you know, likely to finish near the top of the league in points once again. Uh, what I noticed most of all, though, is that this team gets everything it needs to get done between the 22s. But once they're knocking on the try line door, there's some kind of disconnect that you can't even, you can't even articulate. So one thing that has been killer to us this season has been these line breaks from seemingly nowhere from, from every team that we face. It was especially killer in this game with a total of six. And, you know, often they're coming on, you know, they're coming after turnovers, you know, that we commit and otherwise pretty in a pretty productive bunches of phases. Yeah. It, so when it comes to the numbers, Houston, thanks to their aforementioned issue of finishing inside the 22s, they controlled 55% of total possession to go along with a 52% mock in territory. NOLA, meanwhile, 45% possession rate, 48% territory. But, uh, you know, an astounding 989 meters made on 147 passes, giving them an average MPP of 6.7. Now, noted that high mark may mostly be due to, like, the six line breaks that I mentioned. Uh, Tristan Blewett, like you said, had a great game, over 200 meters, nine touches. Um, So that's a 26.3 MPP average for those that, you know, don't want to do the math. Uh, the only place that I can say that the Cats had really good success, you know, that they can, you know, stand stand upon going forward, they uh, they were really good at contesting and defending in the breakdown. They had three total steals compared to just one for Nola. Uh, hopefully, this is something they can, you know, that it can help them move moving forward, creating more chances, especially inside the twenty twos, to uh, actually score some points and win some games because they're so damn capable of doing it. They just need a breakthrough. You know, there there's a lot there is a lot to like out of Houston, but like I mentioned at the top, there was just some real disastrous play, especially towards the end of the game. So, 
kind of to set up the situation, it was about the 70th minute, um, and there was a uh, VC, Justin VC had a run that was called dead, and he just kind of kept going and ran into one of the NOLA uh, defenders and pretty much just took him out <laughs> hard. And that caused folks to start pushing, shoving, throwing punches and everything else. And it just, it was pretty crazy. There's obviously a lot of frustration, especially I'm sure on Houston's side for having had such a rough match and having frankly a rough season going to this point. Uh, so at that point, um, VC was called for a red card following the fight, but then uh, Osea Kalinasau was also caught up in this um, accused by one of the line judges of uh, p- pulling somebody out of out of the uh, pile, possibly uh, choking them or something. We the specifics aren't sure, uh, aren't exact. You know, just what they said on the from the sideline mics. So that kind of sets us up on what happened, what led to the two red cards. There were no red cards issued against Nola. It was only two SaberCat players, so Osei Kalinasau and Joseph VC. Uh, Aaron, what? I don't know. What are, what's our takeaway from this? Kind of what are we looking at? What's their future looking like in the next uh, few weeks? So, I mean, we've had sightings last year. Uh, one of the things to, to worry about is, you know, getting these the judicial decisions made public so that we just know about it. Uh, I know Osea Kalinasau's uh, sighting. Uh, that is currently two weeks from what I understand. It will be appealed. Uh, I think that uh, the likelihood of it being... So here's the thing. Suspensions in rugby go by weeks and not by games. So Houston has a bye week next week, right? So basically is effectively a one game. The reason why I'm, I'm, I would appeal it to be honest. And I think the reason why it's going to be appealed is that there is no, there's no evidence. Like if he did or didn't do it, whatever, like there is a, there's like a mosh pit that splits into two mosh pits and there's without a TMO system in place, you miss some angles. So there there's, there's no clear evidence that anything that he did anything like, I mean, he may have, but there was, it was a, it was a fight, you know, <laughs> like that was a brawl. So there were other people that could have gotten some, some cards too, uh, on, on, I guess really on both sides considering how, so I, I don't know what the AR saw. Don't really care. I'm just saying that because video evidence wise, there is nothing conclusive that says anything that says he's even involved. Uh, I, I think that they have a chance to get it appealed uh, and reduced to one week or it could just come off. But here's the thing with uh, the appellate process is that it is longer than the citing process. So I guess my recommendation would be to just eat it and take the one game because you have a bye next week and he'll be back in three weeks total for, I think, what is it? A game against the Seawolves is what you said? Um, Liam, as far as uh, your game after Utah? Uh, I don't believe it's the Seawolves directly after Utah. I just know that we play 
like because we were talking about strength of schedule before, and I know that we play Seattle before we play Austin again. Got it. So, yeah. So yeah. whoever, either way, he would be back in three weeks. Okay, for the for that game that is three weeks away. Uh, and the reason why I mentioned about the judicial process and that it can take a longer period of time, it just does. So, do you really want? to spend two weeks working on the judicial process rather than just taking the game. Now, when it comes to Joshua Vithis, uh, you know, so a lot of things come into this, right? Uh, Prior history. So this is about the siding process. Joshua Vithi had a siding last season. He also had a few cards last season. He's had a card this season. So when it comes to leniency, I I said to a few people that uh, if you appeal, you're either going to get off or you're going to get the book. And the reason why I think you're going to get the book thrown at you is it was dead ball foul. The, The whistle was blown, so it was dead. The argument could be made is that two grown rugby players, uh, you know, were running at each other. All right, but here's the reason why it's a red card and not any of the other stuff. It's because it was contact to the head. And everything we've seen from the premiership preseason, which in a friendly between Sale and Toulouse or Toulon, I forget, uh, Curse Ashton got five weeks for contact to the head. Not even just, just touch the dude's head. Uh, you know, when he was carrying, carrying a book on a carry. So he got five weeks. So, so I'm just saying with what world rugby is doing with the judicial process with contact of the head, it doesn't matter if you're barely, you know, scratching them. It's, it's, it's a long suspension. So I just want to, that's what we're seeing when it comes to the judicial process. I, I don't think you're going to get much. I really don't. You may. You you may be able to, to get it reduced, but I don't even know what the siding is for this. I just know that Kalinis House is two weeks and that they have a very high chance of appealing that ruling and get it reduced to to one week or even nothing. And here's the thing, when you when you get penalties reduced, it's sort of in your favor when it comes to like past history. It's length of suspension, oh one week. So okay, it doesn't really go into like the decision at the siding and judicial hearings. So it's, and, and here's, I know some people may complain about the judicial process. The, the reason why I would say the judicial process assumes guilt all throughout world rugby and rather than, you know, you know, innocent until proven otherwise, right. Is it's not about like guilt or anything. It's about adjusting on-field behavior. I will say this about rugby in general is that for the most part, most discipline occurs from on-field action, and there isn't a lot of off-field stuff. There is some, and, you know, sometimes the courts take care of it, sometimes they don't. And, you know, as we saw last year in Ireland uh, and all that stuff that happened there, but... For the most part, the I think the policing system does create a behavior change of on the pitch behavior and probably off the field behavior as well. Uh, so, 
there's my long and winded legal uh, <laughs> viewpoint. I am not a lawyer. I am a law student, but I am not a JD student. So don't like take me to the bank. And to be an expert uh, on world rugby laws and the judicial process takes a very long time. I'm just extrapolating from what I've seen the past couple of years when it comes to judicial decisions to sort of give you an idea. Like I said, I don't even know how long this thing is. Uh, it could be the rest of the season because I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking it's going to be five weeks. That's that's what I think. But it's not out yet. Quick question then. Um <clears throat> Regarding the rest of the fight, is there any possibility for additional uh, penalties coming in on either side towards NOLA or uh, Houston? As I understand it, the siding review is done, and there is no, there has been no further sightings uh, for uh, NOLA or Houston from that fight because it's just, I mean, you can't be, be suspending like 20 people. It's, yeah. it's, you just, the, I guess the attempt is to take the hardest offender and, and you know, make an example out of them. But I would state that, say I got two weeks. That's not a lot, like, for what was going on. So I would say they went light, probably because they didn't have video evidence when you think about it. But um, I think that, that they have a chance to uh, get that reduced to a one-week suspension, if not uh, – you know, removed to as if, you know, to basically downgraded to a yellow card, really. Okay. So. Well, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And uh, I'm sure it will come back up again in the next few weeks on the show. So don't worry. We're, we won't not cover this. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to happier trails. Uh, the last game of the weekend uh, was Glendale versus San Diego Legion. And uh, I think Glendale has coined a new a new slogan for the team. It basically is, if you can't beat them, tie them. And so for the second time this season, Glendale uh, ended a game in a tie 28-all against San Diego. Uh, I think Josh really summed this one up best uh, over on EarfulOfDirt.com in his uh, weekend wrap-up. He said, this match will be debated as match of the weekend along with the Rooney-Toronto match. San Diego had the lead, lost it, and then came back and earned the draw. There were some controversial moments in the match uh, that had an effect on both sides. But really, it's just I think it's another humdinger, if you don't mind me saying. Humdinger. Oh, Liam, Liam, tell us what you saw on this one. All right. I just want to say first, I hate ties. I I feel like it, like I feel like the fact that we have ties has more to do with fitting into the network time slots than it does anything. Else. And I, I I don't know. I again, it's the one thing that Pro got right. Um, San Diego has at least has at least kept things interesting this season. Uh, thinking back to their come from behind win against Houston, uh, numbers wise, not all too great offensively. Only a forty one percent possession advantage with a fifty two percent gain line over Mark. Uh, I like the way that Glendale particularly gets the ball to the outside. Um, they only hit a 3.9 meters per pass uh, rating on the evening, but that's not to say that there wasn't some fireworks. Um, I think Harley, Harley Davidson and Mika Cruze are two of the most entertaining people in the Major League Rugby right now. Um, and they're kind of like what I wish Joshua Vithi and Osea Kalinasau were to the Houston Sabercats. 
because uh, you know if you notice it, it, it's always some sort of interaction between the two of them on the outside that gets the other a try and both of them I'm pretty sure scored this past weekend uh, Mika in particular you know had a great try in the corner and I've noticed that's kind of become his signature put down it's just barely reaching across the uh, across the try line in the corner and making sure he dots it down so two very entertaining guys I'm glad that Major League Rugby had him for this season uh, you, you know, it was, uh, it was a really fun match. I get, I guess we can sort of cover the Kara cup, um, a little bit. I watched a little bit of it, uh, Lair, uh, Dylan, um, but, uh, it was a thumping, I guess. Um, so, but I'll get to that. Uh, this game was hey, quick kiss at your sister, Glendale. Come on, come on. What is Do with the kissing the sister thing, man? <laughs> a tie is like kissing yours. I I need to. I think there's there's a movie. I'll I'll send it. <laughs> I I don't think that's a thing, Aaron. I really I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Those words. I don't think they mean what you think they mean. Uh. Oh yeah, that's where it's from. So the first. So it's it's a line in Bad News Bears, the original one. Um. But uh, it was apparently used uh, by Navy football coach Eddie Erdelatz in against Duke is 1953. So it is a thing, and it has been used in pop culture. So whatever, man, just go about kissing your sister. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so you know. One of the things that's been a sight to behold is San Diego's scrum last year was really bad. Okay, uh, then they, then they, the players they've developed players like Nate Sylvia, uh, Faka Osi Pifaletti wasn't really in form last year uh, when he came in. Uh, you you kind of knew. I mean, he was an England age grade player, so you and a Saracens Academy graduate, so you figured he'd he'd probably be pretty good. But he he just the, in the few times he got on the pitch behind Sione Tuiolamatha he was he was okay he was so so, but at loose head Nate Sylvia he's gotten a lot better and Fakaosi Pifaletti well both of the Pifaletti brothers have they've been nice say uh, at but at tight head the class tight head in the in the in the game in Major League Rugby is Patty Ryan. Uh, I would say San Diego's scrum is basically what, in a in a different fashion, what Fitzpatrick has built in Houston, and that's the scrum as a weapon, where you have elite scrummagers uh, going up against not so elite scrummagers and just dictating the tempo, forcing them to concede penalties, and that's what Patty Ryan did pretty much every single scrum uh, against uh, Blake Rogers, who. Apparently did not play tight head. He played loose head. Hmm. Hmm. In the number one jersey too, even though the roster said he was going to play tight head. Hmm. <laughs> but oh, shut up. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> so you know that that scrum is really dominant. CC CLC Mahoney uh, coming in and providing that oomph in the engine room. One of the things that San Diego struggled with is real locks. Let's be real. But Seattle, six foot eight, two hundred eighty pounds, and provides some great drive. I tell you. Uh, but 
Glendale, like Glendale should have won this game. Uh, they conceded the ball less. Uh, San Diego's defense was was good enough, man. They it's all about concession at the correct time, right? Uh, if we look at the gain line, uh, they only they made the gain line sixty nine percent, but the the turnovers at the correct time by San Diego. What did they do? They slowed the ball down. Think about this. This is a this is a huge stat line when you got to think about it. Quick ball percentage. So rucks in under two under three seconds or less is three seconds or less. Uh, San Diego had sixty seven percent and Glendale had fifty eight percent. Sean, you got to dig that ball out. And you got to get it out faster. Okay, jeez. This isn't. And then uh, w- one of the other things is uh, line out takes. Ooh, Glendale is suffering. 75% in the set piece in the line out uh, to 88% San Diego. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it just be what it be, right? Uh, Joe Peterson, still pretty good in the midfield. He does like these wild magician like things he tackles uh not bad for a 37 year old you know but the really the only way to beat glendale is to play just as fast a tempo uh, as them unless they decide to cough up the ball 20 times but they haven't been coughing up the ball over 15 times in a couple of matches you also got to beat them in the penalties man you need to stay disciplined against glendale because more often than not they'll give you the opportunities Glendale conceded less penalties in this game. That's a surprise. Well, that's a humdinger there, don't you know? Cheese <laughs> uh, and crackers. Catch, did anyone catch the care cup? Uh, this might sound strange coming from me. I was not really able to see more than a minute or two of it uh, just because I was going to Constellation Field to work the game uh, You know, around, around the time that it kind of started. So, But, uh, you know, from, from what I did see, you know, the – you know, the, the, like, so again, I only watched like two minutes. Like, it looked like we were moving the ball, but we just weren't quite finishing. There was a few penalties in the time span that I, that I saw, uh, both by Connick and by the Free Jacks. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't 89 to nothing. You know, it wasn't 100 something to nothing. You know, it was, it, you know, it, it was a blowout, but it wasn't, it wasn't awful. I, so I, I'm liking the way that this uh, Boston team is looking ahead to the MLR season. So just as a quick wrap or, you know, summation here, uh, the Kara Cup is this uh, tournament that the New England Free Jacks have organized with a bunch of uh, Pro 14 A-sides coming over and playing a series of matches uh, in March and April. So uh, this was the first game. It was uh, Free Jacks up against uh, Connacht A-side, and the final score was 38-7. to uh, and that match was held, I believe, on Saturday. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I caught, I think, like fifteen minutes of it. The last fifteen minutes, it, where I would call, I would say the the match was decided because it was the final score was thirty eight to seven, and it was thirty eight to seven at that point. Uh, you know, credit to the Free Jacks for uh, for competing this well. I think there's going to be a significant portion of this exhibition free jacks that forms the core of next season's team because they're going to sign other players. I mean, you're going to have uh, collegiate players graduating. They're going to, they're for sure going to sign 
some players that they may be playing um, to, to fill out their foreign allocation. The cool thing about this whole thing is that it is a marketing vehicle for uh, the New England franchise because there were 20, I think there were 2,000 people at Union Point. Uh, the biggest issue I had with this whole thing was Union Point not really, um, watch Medili, advertising the fact that they were installing bleachers. I think the, the only answer to that question was given to Dan Brown, who asked a question on their Facebook page, and instead of putting a post that says, hey, we're installing 2,500 seats at Union Point uh, for the Care Cup. They just answered a, a, a comment on a thread, so it was buried. Uh, but as a marketing vehicle, there's a lot of people out there. That was great stuff. Uh, as for If you're in the Northeast, it was on Nesson Plus, and I think the final or something is going to be on Nesson Actual. And uh, it was on... The Free Jacks are all up into the New Age stuff. They've got a, a Twitch channel. It was on Facebook, and it was on YouTube. So if you were out of the Nesson catchment area. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that a lot of these young, talented players that are trying to vie for slots in the uh, in the squads uh, of the Irish provinces uh, while being on the, the A-sides uh, – these some of these guys are going to get the opportunity to play because this this film is going to be out there and, and it's going to be able to be watched by every single head coach, director of rugby, GM in Major League Rugby. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is more than like 10 guys that come over next season across the league from this competition. And uh, next up for the Free Jacks will be uh, next Sunday – at uh, 6.30 p.m. Eastern against Ulster A-side. So be sure to tune into that. All right. Uh, yeah, let's get to some results. So as always, we like to go back through and see how bad we did with our predictions from last week. And I got to say, I think we did okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll take it. Okay. Uh, first up was the Friday night match. That was Toronto versus Rooney. Final was 24-21 in Rooney's favor. Aaron, you said uh, Rooney by five. Liam, you had Rooney by nine, and I had uh, Rooney by five. So we were right in range there, although I don't think the game went quite how we were expecting it. No. Uh, second match was uh, Seawolves versus Austin Elite. We all had Seawolves on this one as well. Aaron, you had them by 10. Uh, Liam had them by 20, and I went big and said 30. The final score was 29 to 17. Right. So, Liam, you were right there, man. Uh, actually, no, Aaron was right there. I can't do basic yeah. math. 12. <laughs> I was like, hmm? 12 points. Nah. 12 points. You know, uh, if you go over wrong. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, for Sabercats versus Nola, the final score is 49 to 11 in Nola's favor. Uh, Aaron, you had Nola by 10. Liam, you had Houston by 2. And I had Nola by 20. And then wrapping up the weekend, we had San Diego versus Glendale, and that was a 28-all tie. And, well, none of us saw that one coming. Uh, you guys both had uh, San Diego by five, and I said Glendale by seven. So I think we all whiffed that one pretty good. Hey, you almost had it. But uh, Glendale, they, they decided to 
concede a penalty at the wrong points, which uh, then led Patty Ryan to uh, call a scrum. So, Aaron, talk, take us through the standings real quick. Nola stays on top. They uh, with the bonus uh, with the bonus point win. Um, they have now twenty six table points. Uh, you know, uh, five and one. And then Seattle now moves to second in the standings uh, with their fifth win, uh, bonus point win as well, 25 points. Uh, New York uh, at an identical record to Nola's, but they they are not getting as many bonus points. Uh, is third and tied. This is get this is going to get funny. So Glendale has two draws this season they have 23 table points uh and so the second tiebreaker is or the first tiebreaker is wins so new york has is five and one so they are third on the table uh san diego uh with a record of four two and one has only 22 table points and toronto at three and four uh is still you know is still in it with uh, at 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 the six hole, but they have 17 table points. And then the bottom girls, Utah, uh, with seven points. This has not changed. Uh, Saber cats with six points and Austin with two points. And reminder, uh, now that we're almost halfway through the season, uh, we, we want to look at the top four teams because the top four teams are going to go into the uh, postseason just like last year. So we'll be waiting to see what happens. And, you know, right now there's three points. Uh, there's four points t- separating the top five teams. So that can be made up in one game with bonus points. So think about that one for a second. Mm-hmm. All right. Week nine. We're there, fellas. Week nine. Let's do some predictions. First up. Thursday night game. This is a weird one. Thursday night. Uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Watch. Uh, the Warriors travel to Houston. What do you guys think? Why do Texas teams get cursed with Thursday night games? Don't, dude, it's been a nightmare in the office for the ticket department, man. Don't even get me started. So I, I remember, I think Austin had two Thursday night games last year. It was bad. Uh, you, I'm going Utah minus seven. Uh, the Sabercats have not given me anything to believe in. And I think, uh, you know, they're going to be missing Joth VC, Joth VC and Osea Kalina Sow. If, uh, Kalina Sow's, uh, appeal doesn't get granted. Uh, so Utah minus seven. All right. Uh, so I'm going to be believing in the Sabercats this week. I think, you know, with the absence of Joshua Vithi and Osea Kalinasau, it's definitely going to be a challenge, but I think the guys are going to be able to rise to the occasion. Houston minus six. I'm kind of in Aaron's camp on this one, though I think it's going to be a close match. I'm going Utah by three. Saturday, we fast forward to Saturday. We've got a 3 p.m. Eastern game, and that's uh, Austin at NOLA. Uh, Aaron, lead us off. Like I said, uh, Austin is getting better. But uh, sort of like last week, yeah, I'm not, no, sorry, not going to happen. Uh, NOLA minus 15. Uh, I'm going to go NOLA minus 12 on this one. I think Austin, yeah, they'll put up another good fight, but ultimately that 
that gold squad is rolling. That that gumbo is spicy, and mm, 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 is it simmering? Yeah, and I'm believing in what the gold's putting on the field. So I'm saying uh, Nola by 21. I'm going big on this one. <laughs> okay, and then the last game of the weekend, Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, and that is Glendale traveling to New York City versus Rooney. Uh, that one's on. Uh, that's the game of the week on CBS Sports Network. So, Aaron. So if this game was at Glendale, it would be the I would I would make the other pick, but. Since it's at New York, well, and New York's you know got some got some hype behind them. I think they're going to get some more rooster boosters out. Um, going New York minus seven. Uh, I'm going to go against you on this one, just because I need to I need to find that uh, difference maker in terms of uh, making sure my record is better than all y'all on predictions. So I'm going to go Glendale minus nine. Just hoping that. I'm going to break the mold here and get that extra win. <laughs> and I'm following Aaron uh, again on this one. I'm saying Rooney by seven. So we're, uh, we're in agreement on that one, Aaron. Very good. And again, um, we've got free jacks in exhibition play against Ulster. Uh, we don't have any predictions on that one, but be sure to check it out and we'll uh, try to get back with some uh, analysis on a, it. It's pretty simple. Ulster by a lot. <laughs> I'm going to say Ulster minus 18. Uh, I, I think if you're the Free Jacks and your coach Josh Smith, that 38 minus to 7, uh, I think that's a good result. I, I you know, you're, you're playing against the top of each Irish province of guys that are buying for, buying for contracts with uh, the, the provincial. Uh, pro 14 side. So I think that's a good result. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say Ulster by 10. Why not? Just to be different. Uh, so I guess 28 is the, is the okay. line. I'll go. I'm typing it. I'm typing it in. I'm typing it in right now. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how we end up. Well, we all need something week. to brag about, man. Hey, we got How one we right. Thrive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We always like to wrap up the show with uh, questions from Bob. And <laughs> Bob really stepped up this week. We have got a good number of them. So, as always, we're doing lightning round, fellas. Yep. Let's go. Okay. Starting us off. Mariusharam. That is it's, actually how it's pronounced. It's, it's Marius Marius. Come on. Marius. Sur, Ma, Marius. Marius. Yeah. Yeah. How many Irish provincial players that played in the Kara Cup uh, do you think Free Jacks will poach in advance of next season? Seven. As many as they're allowed. As long as they still pick from a pool of Boston players, I'm all for it. And uh, Murray uh, follows up by asking, <laughs> although most of the South Americans are supposed to be participating in the South American League, how many do you think will wind up staying in MLR for multiple years? If the pay increases, probably a good lot of them, man. Not going to speculate on numbers, uh, but because, you know, who knows how the foreign cap will change. Uh, I say 80% of these guys stay here. Uh 
the Liga Sulamericana or whatever it's called doesn't have a website, but as far as I understand, like the season's about to be truncated. So there's eight supposed to be eight teams. They're talking just seven games for their season right now. So I would say most of them stay here. Uh, but I like fire ask going to my first game soon. Any tips and advice? Enjoy it. Um, don't, don't do anything with fire when you go, when you go there, a uh, person who apparently likes fire. Uh, other than that though, talk to people, you know, everybody in rugby knows somebody. Resco operator. For those who play in club rugby and now see the players you played with against in MLR and beyond, what goes through your head? Um, um yeah. I have one ex-teammate who plays who who played with the Free Jacks player, um, and I used to live with Paul Emmerich, so that's about that's about all my experience. Um, so I haven't played against any of those guys. Maybe I have, but none of that none of the names I recognize. Uh, I did play with an all army like sevens pool guy. He was he was fast. <laughs> like he was good. Yeah, I think it's kind of like, you know, when your buddy uh your buddy's band gets big and you stay home and watch them on MTV or something. What decade am I in? Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of that kind of feeling. I don't know. I think it would you'd be a mix of pride and jealousy. <laughs> Which school? Okay, this has come from Conkey twenty one ninety five. Which school of thought and rugby DNA will the Americans choose as they create their rugby identity? Jedi. The Sith. <laughs> they are the dark side. For some reason, I thought that would be the All Blacks. I said Jedi. Yeah, but but I mean, after the RIM disaster, man, like I have no faith. This is definitely being run by Palpatine. <laughs> Don't you think it'd be a little bit smoother if it was? No, 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 no. That's exactly what he wants you to think. Johnny24, eh? Do we have an official attendance number for Rooney? Mm. Uh, Official attendance? No, I think it was like 1,200 was the estimate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nola up and under. How do suspensions work in MLR? So I, I think, uh, you know, Liam's going to say something, but I, I think the answer is different than what he was looking for. So currently, until MLR inputs their own rules, it goes by the World Rugby Rules, which is by weeks, which includes your bye week, so not by games. So if it's a two-week suspension and you have a game this week and a bye week next week, while well, you're uh, – suspension is served at finished at the end of next week. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think so. Yeah. You, you get the chance to appeal, but other than that, what Aaron said. All right. And the last question of the night, why too easy asks in which, or I I've watched every Rooney match and always have the same question. Why is it that with 10 minutes or so left, they take out Mike Petrie? Just a minutes count, man. Like, you know, coaches sometimes have a very specific plan for how they want to use players. Mike, Pe- Mike uh, Petrie is one of the older players on the Rooney roster. They might want to develop other people. It's just kind of sometimes how, uh, how the cookie crumbles. Depends on how you separate your backs from your forwards on your bench. You, on your bench, you have to have a minimum of three front rows. 
and then you can kind of do whatever the heck you want. But most coaches do a five, three split and you have an extra fly half and a backup uh, scrum half and a, a, a utility wing. And uh, it's, it's man management. Uh, although maybe I might get some stick for this, but Mike has had some humdingers. Uh, when it comes to some of his games so far this season. So I think, you know, you need to limit. Like, Mike Petrie can play at a very high level, but then he can, you know, he's also like 35 or whatever his age is. He's a science teacher. Science teacher by day, rugger by night. Yeah, he's got to be able to, like, go back into the classroom on Monday. So you you got to be nice. (laughs) All right. That's about it, fellas. Any uh, final thoughts on the way out? Uh, no, no. My mind is just a, a, a blank, a old so, blank slate. Um, hey, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next week where I'll bring you more folksy colloquialisms. Until then, please note that the opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby teams or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Madigan-Fried is employed by the West Houston Lions and the Houston Sabercats. Be sure to tune in next week. We're live each and every Monday night here on YouTube and available on your favorite podcast platform each Wednesday morning. If you like what we do, please uh, give us a subscribe here on YouTube and on iTunes. And be sure to give us a review and tell uh, tell your friends about us if you could. That would be very helpful. And as always, be sure to hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with your news, views, and abuse. Thanks as always for listening. Until next time, get out there and watch some rugby. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can share your thoughts with us via our voicemail by calling 720-600-2679. We're live again next Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then. Thank you.